Love wins. It wins. When you love, you win. Every time. For love, this is what she says, love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It flashes are, its flashes are flashes of fire. The very flame of the Lord. Jealousy? What's going on here? Well, if you're married, you should be jealous. No one should be looking at your wife that's your wife. No one should be looking at you, right? You need to be jealous of each other, defensive of each other. Love is as strong as death, it says. It's odd, I think, comparing love to death, isn't it? <laughs> right? Like, that's, that's the image. She could have said love is as strong as, like, a horse or a whale, right? Like, but she says it's as strong as death. That's so negative. I don't want to think about death when I'm thinking about love. But she says it's as strong as death. Why? Well, I think it's because death can't be overcome, can it? Now, you're thinking, if you're thinking as Christians, yes, it can. Jesus did it. All right, fine. But don't go there with me, okay? Just think about death. Who in here is not going to die? You're all going to die. It's unavoidable. Death wins. Right? Death, death has got our number. We're all headed there. We're all facing it. Death can't be overcome. It will inevitably overpower all of us. Love, she says, is like this. It wins. Love wins. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. You see, light, a lightning strike cannot stop the love of a husband for his wife if he really loves her. When the deluge approaches in marriage, love overcomes. It wins every time. It says in our text, the flames of, of hell, when they draw near, the fire of God burns brighter. It's not a fire that can quench God's love. Love is not simply compared to death, though, I don't think. Simply des describe its power over any opposition. I think it's also describing what, it's what is the alternative if we don't love. What happens in, in marriage, in life, even if we're not married, when we decide that we don't love anybody, we're mad, we're disappointed, we're angry, well, you know what happens? You die. It kills you. Maybe not actually, maybe not physically, but you're walking in a sort of death. The, absent of the absence of love, especially between a husband and wife, will kill that marriage. As powerful as love is to preserve union, it's equally as powerful as withholding it and killing that union. You see? The peaks of love can with equal force bring us into the valleys of misery when love is withheld. How important it is to love our wives and our husbands. Love is as strong as death. You know, friends, if you've found yourself for quite a while not loving anybody anymore, married or not, just start loving again. If you've, if you've seen how death has sort of followed that attitude, when you plant your staff on the shores of love. Watch 
the walls of water emerge around you and walk through on dry ground. You see, friends, love always wins. Number five, love is priceless. It's priceless. No other love outside of God's love is more important in human relationships, more life-giving in human relationships, more valuable and more necessary than the covenant of love between husband and wife. You see, what I mean by this, I'm not trying to demean love outside of that because it's, it's also very important. It's also hurtful to be withheld of it. But when I get into a fight with my mom and dad, I still have them. They're still here, right? And we still fight sometimes, right? Um, but when I get into a fight with them, it is much different than if my wife and I are fighting. It's much less consequential, isn't it? You know, that might, if you're not married, you might not see that. But how many, how many people who are married can give me an amen? What, what you know when something isn't right with your wife, it, it follows you in a way that is very unique in life. You see, love in marriage is priceless. It's worth more than any other relationship, any other possession, any other object of inspiration for you. If a man offered for love, the text says, all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. You know, this is sort of saying money can't buy you love, right? It's saying more than that, though. I think it's saying two things. Number one, no love is more valuable to a husband and wife than the other person's. You see, not the love of a mom, not the love of a dad, not the love of a child. No love outside of Christ's love, his is the only exception. Humanly speaking, no love is more important to that person's life than their husband or wife. No love is more valuable. Number two, though, the covenantal love is worth sacrificing every worldly possession for. It's worth sacrificing status, power, anything. It's as Jesus described. You remember this parable. A man discovers a treasure hidden in a field. And because he knows that that treasure buried in the field is worth more than anything that he owns combined. His house, his tractor, his cattle, everything. You, you take up the value of all of it, and it's not even a fraction of this treasure. So this is what he does. He sells it all to buy the field. And on the surface, the field is not worth more than all of his possessions. It's like trading a 30-acre field for a one-acre field. A 30-acre field with cattle and tractors and barns and all these other things, various items, right? Trading it all for an acre. Everyone around you thinks you're nuts. You're crazy. What are you doing? But you know there's a treasure in there. You know where it's buried. You know something else. You know something no one else knows. You see, friend, why would you give up a job for a wife? Why would you move anywhere for a husband? Why would you do these things? Why would you lose money? Why would you lose status? And not only lose it all, but lose it gladly. You see, that's the difference. Because a lot of times we lose it, but we end up hating our spouse for it. But lose it gladly. Because they're worth more. That's why. And you know it. 
And friends, can I suggest to you that oftentimes marriages fall apart because you forget that one simple pr principle, that your, your spouse is more important. It's more valuable. You need it more. You know, friends, if you were really selfish, you'd go after your spouse because you know that that's the thing that you need most in life, humanly speaking, with respect to relationships. It's exactly as Jesus described. Marital love prioritizes the, the other over everything else. Everything else is less important, less valuable. Where you live, what job you have, what, whether or not you, you can have kids, etc., etc. Can I even say that your, 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 even your children is not as important to your life as your spouse. Now, I'm not saying to be abusive or negligent or to not love your children. Of course we should. But friends, they are not your spouse. Would you put a price on love? What would it be? If you could imagine it in your mind, what would that price be? Might I suggest to you that when someone comes along and offers you that price, you will sell and you'll leave. The song says, how foolish, how despicable. You, so, you sold what you need most in life and what is most valuable in life for a hamburger. I knew this, this uh, old Greek lady. Um, she lived in Somerset. And I, when I was 20, she was, she was 90. So she was, she was up in years. She's probably long gone. But she was, she was Greek Greek, too. And... Um, she, her husband passed away when she was like 50. So she had been single for like 30 or 40 years. And we asked her one day, why, do, why don't you ever get remarried? And it's like, she was like, why, why eat hamburger when you've had prime rib? Right? That was her logic. Now, I'm not, I'm not dissing remarriage. I'm just saying that this woman prized her husband. Love is priceless. Number six, love is holy. What shall we do for our sister? If she's a wall... We'll build on her a battlement of silver. But if she's a door, we'll close her with boards of cedar. She says, I was a wall. Then I was in his eyes, my groom's eyes, as one who finds peace. My vineyard, my own vineyard, is before me. You, Solomon, you have thousands of vineyards and keepers of the fruit. You can keep them, she says. Love is holy. Holy is sort of a religious -y word, isn't it? We sort of trip over it. And we don't really like it. It sounds like too priesty, right? You know, like, what is this all about? Holy? It's, it's, I don't get that word. So it invokes, like, images of piety and obedience and abstinence, maybe self-denial. I might describe it differently. Might I say it's, might, might I describe it like this? With a command or a suggestion. Don't pursue the things that you think you need in this life so that you can really get what you're after. Let me explain. In Scripture, to be holy is to be kept for a specific use, to be reserved for something in particular. So if you read the Old Testament, you'll know that they have this thing called a temple or a tabernacle. They would make sacrifices to God for the forgiveness of sin in that temple. The Israelites would do this. And every item in there, like a bowl, for example, would be call, called holy. A bowl. Is a bowl is holy? I don't get that. But because it's not, it's not because that bowl is more moral than other bowls. 
right? Bulls don't have, that. they're amoral. They don't have morality. It's not because of that, but it's because that the bowl is God's bowl. It's for him only. And in being God's bowl, this is the kicker. You say, oh, what a disappointment. I can't hold cereal, right? I'll never meet a nice crab bisque. You know, like, I have to sit in this temple. What a bummer, right? I got to be holy to the Lord. But what that bowl finds is that bowl gets everything it ever wanted out of its boldness by being in God's hands. Don't pursue the things that you think you need so that you can get what you're really after. Reserve yourself, in other words, for God. Holiness in life is being set apart for God, for his love, for his purpose. It's, it's partly being pure, being clean before him. If you're truly be a vessel of his purpose, you're not going to be stained with things that offend him. That's, what, that's where the morality does come in. But it's more than that. We're reserved for his love, for his purpose. Not the love and not the purpose of other things that he's made. We're reserved first for him. Now in this sense, the bride is holy to her husband. She's not a sexual door. That's what this image is. She's not a sexual door that swings this way. With this person one day, swings that way another, with another person the next. She doesn't give herself emotionally to another man this day and another the next. No, Solomon had a thousand wives. Those doors swung in and out. But she had one vineyard, and that vineyard was for one man. And this is the choice, friends, between chastity and promiscuity. It's a challenge that comes to every married or single person. Singles are chaste in general. That's what the Bible calls us to be. Chaste, reserved for God, right? Married people are chaste with everyone else except their wife or their husband, you see? They're still chaste, but in a different way. And the miraculous part about this, I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. The irony is that the inner peace that we're after in our promiscuity can only be found in our chastity and in our devotion, our reservation of our heart, body, and soul to Jesus Christ. When we reserve ourselves for him, we get the peace that we were seeking in the beds of everyone around us. You see, we get it there. Don't pursue the things that you think that you need so that you can really get the things that you're after. Love is holy. And finally, love never ends. Oh, wonderful. Never ends. You see, till death do us part, but friends, death, is the resurrection. It's the wedding day for the Christian. Death is the beginning. And when we die and enter into the love of God as Christians, it will never end. Oh, you who dwell in the gardens with companions, listening for your voice, let me hear it. So the groom's speaking now. I wanna, I'm in the garden. I want to hear your voice. And she calls out, Make haste, beloved. Be like a gazelle. Be like a stag on the mountains of spices. The song ends the way it begins. That's the final line of the song. The song ends the way it begins. The woman has the first word and the last word. 
Isn't that interesting? Don't do weird things with that, by the way. <laughs> she, gets the, she gets the first word of the song and the last word of the song. Then let him kiss me. Remember the beginning. Let him kiss me. Come to me. Kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. For your love is... She's calling to him. She wants his love. That was at the beginning of the song. Now at the end of the song, she's saying the same thing. Make haste. Hurry, beloved. Come to me. Be like a gazelle. So the song ends... Isn't this incredible? It ends with an invitation for sexual intimacy in the context of covenantal marriage. It's not the first time the invitation was made and it won't be the last. And one author says this, we get the sense that their lovemaking will never end. Begins with an invitation, ends with an invitation, and we just sort of get this sense that that invitation, that experience of union will just continue. Long after we close the book to this song, it goes on. Their love continues, it endures, it never ends, and such is love. Every day is a new invitation to love. To love friends, to love church members, to love colleagues, to love our children, to love our family, to love our spouse. Every day is a new day, a new invitation to union, friendship, passion, service, help, and intimacy. And friends, if you are in marriage and it's been a train wreck, then today is a new, a new day where you can invite each other to love. It's a new day. Old things are past in Christ. All things have become new. Today is a new day. It's a new invitation to love. So let me close. I want to close with a, a few thoughts about what this text, what this sermon, what this sermon series has really been about. The kind of love that, was, that is meant, that we've seen, is meant to be shared in marriage. God desires to have with you should you come to him in repentant faith. Imagine this. His love leans. You lean on him. Like John, remember, the apostle leaned on the breast of Jesus for his comfort, for his love, for his help. So should we. Lean on him, friends. He's the groom. That is the wall that we need to lean on, leading us to our glory self, delivering us to the kingdom in Ephesians 5, entirely pure and ready. Lean on him. His love multiplies because it touches and it changes us. He uses us to be instruments of love to everyone around us. We can tell of his love to, every, to our family and friends, to be heralds, to be messengers, to see the kingdom multiply. He is the only one that's allowed to have more than one wife. <laughs> right? right? Actually, there is one bride, it's the church, but it's made up of many. It multiplies so we can cast the seeds of God's love to people around us, to our neighbors, to bring people here that don't know Jesus, that can be introduced to his love, to fill up seats, to knock down walls, because we know that people need the love of Christ. It multiplies. And you know what else it does? It seals. When you're in Christ by repentance and faith, his seal is on our hearts and his. When you believe, it says in Ephesians, you are marked in him with a seal. You are marked with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing the inheritance until the, the redemption of those who are God's possession. He sets himself as a seal on your heart, 
and guarantees your delivery to his kingdom. You cannot fall outside of his love. You cannot lose it. You cannot walk away from it. He seals you, and he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. You are in him, like Jesus says. He is in you as they are in the Father when you come to him by faith. And you know what? His love wins, always, every time. For I am convinced, Romans chapter 8, that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, any floods, any deluge, neither height nor depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. When you put repentant faith in Christ, nothing. You are in his love, and nothing can take you out of that love. Nothing. Being in Christ means that he wins you. He wins. He'll be gracious to you when you fail. When you're in Christ, your failures cannot separate you from his love. Your enemies cannot. Your trials cannot. Nothing can. Paul goes to great lengths in Romans 8 to present any possible thing that you can think of that might separate you from God's love. And the conclusion is nothing can separate you from God's love. He is the one that began the work. He is the one that will complete the work. He will never lose you. He will never divorce you. He will never change his mind. He wins because love wins. Isn't that great? And it's priceless. He's the treasure hidden in the field. It's not sex. It's not marriage. It's not prestige. It's Jesus. It's not even your spouse, by the way. It's Jesus. We come to Jesus, and everyone thinks we're nuts. Why are we selling everything that we have for this field? It's not worth it. But the field has Jesus in it, and he's worth it. That's why we move. That's why we sell. That's why we give. That's why we serve. That's why we end up in foreign countries. You see, friends, because Christ is priceless. He's worth selling everything that we have for because he's worth more. If you get him and lose everything, you've lost nothing. If you get everything and lose him, you've lost everything. Don't lose him because he's priceless. His love is holy. It's reserved for you. It will not change. And should it come to you by faith, all of you from your head to your toe is reserved for him. You are his. And it never ends, by the way. The Bible ends the same way that the Song of Solomon ends. Oh, and this is beautiful. Listen to this. The Bible ends the same way. that Remember, at the very beginning of the series, I said, many people have said that Song of Solomon is like a mini Bible. Right? The Song of Solomon ends the same way the Bible ends in the book of Revelation. What does she say? Make haste, she says. Come! to me. Bridegroom, I want to be with you. Make haste, my beloved. Be like a zeal. Come quickly. In Revelation chapter 22, behold, I come with clouds, and my reward is with me. And John cries, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Make haste. Be like a gazelle. The Song of Solomon leaves us with the bride and groom on the verge of embrace. They're about to grab onto each other again, but not quite. And the Bible ends the same way. Christ and his people are just about 
holding on, almost touching, but not quite. The close of the song, we get the sense that their lovemaking will never end, and at the close of the Bible, we get the same sense that when Christ returns, we will fully know him, he will fully know us, and for the believer, death ends the almost touch, the almost embrace. For the believer, death ushers in the full union of our whole person with Jesus Christ. Isn't that great news? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord God, this morning that anyone that doesn't know you would finally reach out to Christ, the bridegroom, and say these words, make haste, come quickly. Friend, you are far off because of sin, but God, because of Christ and what he's done for you, has offered you, invited you back in, and he promises to return to you if you simply call out to him. Forgive me, I'm a sinner. I believe that your death was done in my place for me and that you have made me pure and that you are coming for me. Oh, friend, if you believe that, you are his. He has sealed himself onto you. And you need not fear because the bridegroom is coming quickly. And God, for the rest of us, I pray, Lord, that your church would continually, like John, cry out, make haste, come, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would love you, that we would seek you and find you. And I pray, Lord, that as we love each other, especially in marriage, oh God, that we would do these things, that we would lean, that our love would lean, that it would be holy, that it would be unending. Heal what is broken, bind up the broken heart, give us miracles, in Jesus' name. Amen.